So discouragement in this building project had set in. The people were in exile in Babylon, and God had promised to restore them, bring them back to Jerusalem, and he told that was finally happening after 70 years. And they're going back, and they're supposed to rebuild the temple first. And they laid the foundation, and then opposition mounted, threats from enemy people groups around them. All this, all this stuff was basically caused them to kind of pull back, and at one point they stopped building altogether. But even as they picked back up the work and they began to build again, they started battling discouragement. They started being faced with the temptation to give up. And, man, when you see all the reasons why, you can think about what their situation might have looked like. And, man, it's so relatable to how we're always kind of tempted as we're serving, as we're building God's kingdom. There's always this temptation to give up because they were were discouraged for so many different reasons. All the opposition was huge. Like, that made them stop for a while until Haggai and Zechariah came in and said, no, you have to keep doing this. But there was this opposition, these threats, and that, that made them want to stop. Man, we, we can't protect ourselves. There was distractions among, among them all the time. The, they, they stopped building the temple at one point because they needed to build their own houses. And God rebukes them for that. He challenged them, like, why are you, why are you living in a nice house and my house is in ruins? But they stopped because they were distracted. They started planting crops and trying to build the economy and do all these different kinds of things. And that was a distraction for them all the time. But you also had... You had people that were looking at what they were building, and then they were basically asking the question, is this even worth it? Is this going to be significant? You had, you had two very different groups of people that came back from the exile. You had, you had people that were born in exile. They had never lived in Jerusalem. They were the younger generation. This is the generation that's going to do most of the heavy lifting, most of the work on the temple, and they had never seen the old temple. They just heard stories, and you know that they were probably wondering, why are we doing this? Like, why are we going back? Our homes are here. Our lives are here. And we're going to uproot everything, and we're going to go back, and we're going to rebuild this temple and rebuild this city that's all just been destroyed. It's all in ruins. And so you know they must have been thinking, like, is this even worth it? Is this going to be worth the time and energy to go and do this? Why would we do such a thing? And then there was another group of people that were old enough to have seen the old temple. And they were there when it was destroyed. And they were there. They were the ones taken into captivity. And and an older generation came back, and they began to look at this new temple as they laid the foundation. And Ezra, it says that they began to mourn because they knew it wasn't going to be as great as the first one. This is not going to be as good as Solomon's temple. It's not going to be as big as Solomon's temple. It's not going to be as glorious and as great as the original temple. And so the question was the same from a different angle. Is this worth it? Is this significant? Should we really be giving ourselves to this task? And then underlying all that was like, is this even going to work? Like, are we going to be able to do it? Do we have enough manpower? Do we have enough strength? Do we have enough resources? Do we have enough to do the task? And so as you can imagine, for all these different angles, all these different ways that they were feeling, that discouragement began to set in, and they began to be tempted to give up. And so Zechariah keeps getting these visions from the Lord. And in this vision in chapter 4, it's a vision of encouragement. It's a vision to remind them to keep working. It's a vision to basically, I I look at it and I say, it's a vision to tell them not to give up. Now, if you're reading through this, if you're following through, the vision's kind of interesting, right? Like there's a lamp stand and it's got seven lamps on it. So if you know anything about the temple and the tabernacle, they had this menorah lamp stand that had seven lamps on it. 
But this is a little bit different. This is, this is significantly really different than that because Zechariah, who would, as a priest, would know what the menorah is. He would know what that lampstand is. He looks at this and he's like, hey, what are these? Because on this lampstand, it wasn't just seven lamps. On top of it was a bowl. And that bowl was filled with oil, and that oil would spill over into seven different channels, at least seven different channels, into those seven lamps on that lampstand to supply the fuel that was needed to keep the lamp burning. And then on either side of the bowl, there was an olive tree. On the left, there's an olive tree. On the right, an olive, an olive tree. And a branch coming from each of those olive trees that was supplying through a pipe or some kind of channel of some oil into that bowl. I mean... It's a pretty interesting vision. Zachariah's like, what is, what is this? What are these? And the angel's like, don't you know? And he's like, well, I asked the question because I didn't know, right? Wouldn't ask if I knew, we could just skip this part. And here's the, here's the answer that begins to shed light for all of us into what this vision is all about and why it becomes this vision to not give up. And you, you need to look at it. It's verse 6. Then the angel said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. If you want to know what the whole point of this passage is, the whole point of chapter 4, it's that verse, it's that statement. If you want to underline stuff, you like to underline stuff in your Bible, underline verse 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. If you're discouraged, if you're thinking about giving up, if you're you're wondering if this is all worth it, if you're wondering if it's all going to work, here's what God says to Zerubbabel and all the people building the temple. He says, hey, it's not by your might, it's not by your power, but it's my spirit that's going to accomplish this that's that begins to shed light oh okay so the the lampstand which would have represented to them the temple and it also really because the temple is much bigger than just a building it represents God's presence with his people and then ultimately it represents his people and that lampstand is supposed to shine brightly into the darkness of the world it's supposed to be this light into the world but that lampstand those lamps those seven lamps that represent God's people and his work on on the earth it's being fueled by this bowl of oil and oil in our bibles is almost all the time refers to the holy spirit and so here's what god says look at the vision see the oil that's going into the lampstands you guys are the lampstand you guys are the lights and and it's not by your might it's not by your power but it's by my spirit that God's going to do this. So we don't give up. That's the message. Hey, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Here's, here's why. Don't give up because God empowers the work by his spirit. God's going to do this. God's going to give you everything you need for this work. He does that through the work of his spirit. And so that, that's like the main point of this whole thing. But I, the, the word spirit here in, in your Bible, it's capitalized because it's referring to the Holy Spirit. And I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about the Holy Spirit because we just don't do that enough. Our background, our, our heritage, like we don't, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. We talk about God the Father. We talk about his son Jesus, which in a lot of ways it makes sense because the Holy Spirit is actually pointing to Jesus and glorifying the Son but sometimes we look at the Holy Spirit and we don't understand exactly who that is. And so we kind of like move away from that. There's a lot of mystery involved with the Holy Spirit. In fact, some translations, when it talks about the Holy Spirit, it says Holy Ghost. 
And we see that and we're like, zoinks, like well, there's a ghost involved? Like I don't, I don't know if I want that, right? Like I, don't, I, don't, I think I'll just focus on Jesus. Like what? And so let me, just, let me give you two thoughts, two truths to kind of think about, meditate on, to help us maybe understand the Holy Spirit a little bit better in light of what this passage is teaching us. And the first one is this, the Holy Spirit is God's presence and God's power with his people. The Holy Spirit is God's presence and God's power with his people. Just so we're clear, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit's not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. We have one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's why we say we have a, a trinity. Our God is a Trinitarian God. One God, three persons. You, you see that in your Bible at the baptism of Jesus. If you're wondering, like, okay, where's that in the Bible? Like, go to the baptism of Jesus, and you see Jesus, God the Son. He's being baptized into the River Jordan by John. And then you hear the voice of God the Father speaking over that, uh, uh, that moment. This is my Son in whom I well please. And then you have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, descending on him as like a dove and resting on Jesus to empower him for his ministry. So all the qualities of God, the Holy Spirit has. He's God. He's eternal. He's omniscient. He's om, uh, omnipresent. He's, he is God, and he is the way God is at work in our world. The Holy Spirit is God's presence and God's power with his people. The way that God is working in our world is through his spirit. God the Father, we don't see him. God the Son was with us for a while. Now he's at the right hand of the Father, and he sent his spirit, and that's how God is at work in the world. In the Old Testament, you see it here, and you see it in an incomplete version. In the New Testament, you see the fullness when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to guide us. And so here's what you have. This God the Spirit is the one who's at work in our world today. When you sense God's presence, when you sense God leading you, when you have a retreat and you sense God is very close to you, that's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. When he's prompting you, he's teaching you, he's showing you things. In fact, let me, let me throw some things about his role down for us. And this is not even an exhaustive list and you're going to feel like it is. But like, let me just throw this up there and let you think about it for a second. Here's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Holy Spirit indwells us. He empowers us. He counsels us, he guides us, he teaches us, he convicts us, he helps us, he encourages us, he unites us, and he produces godly fruit in and through us. That's not all. That's a pretty good starter list of how he's at work in our lives. He indwells us. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says that you have the spirit of Christ inside of you. He's living inside of you to lead you and to guide you. Jesus said, hey, the helper is going to come. He's going to help you. The counselor's going to come. He's going to guide you. He's going to teach you. He's going to help you understand the scripture. He's going to convict you of sin. Say, don't go that way. Come back over here. The Holy Spirit's at work in our lives to accomplish what God is trying to do, to accomplish God's will in us and through us. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I think that that helps us because Zachariah gets this vision and God is saying, like, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's my spirit that's doing all this through you. And with, that's a great reminder for us that there's two different ditches that we can get in on this thing. There's this ditch over here where we, um, we look at the task, we look at whatever God has put in front of us, how he wants us to build his kingdom, how he wants us to serve, and we're like, I can't do it. I, that's too big. That's too much. 
can't do it. I don't have what it takes. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm, I'm, not, I don't, I'm, I'm not old enough. Like we have all these excuses, all these reasons why you could have looked at this task in that day and said, we can't build this temple anything like it was before. And God looks into this when we say that, and he goes, yeah, you're right. Because it's not your might, and it's not your power. It's my spirit working through you that's going to accomplish this task. And so we, we kind of get over here and we say, I can't do it, so we check ourselves out. And God's like, no, that's a good place to be. Now, trust that I will do it through you. Not your might, not your power, my spirit. Now, over here, there's another ditch. And that's when we get in this place and we go, oh, yeah, I can do this. I, God is so happy I'm on his team right now. Bringing so much to the table. Man, I bet he's happy I showed up today. And we start thinking, I got, I got some gifts, I got some talents, I got some experience, I got some wisdom. Man, I, I've done this before. And we forget because we start thinking, it kind of is a little bit of my might, a little bit of my power. And in that ditch, God says, no, it's not. <laughs> you can't do this. Not my might, not my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So we go, oh, yeah, I can't, I can't do that. I need God to do this, and we trust him. We, we end up in the middle, trusting him to do what only he can do through us. And that's why this message says, don't give up, because it's not up to you. Don't give up. It's not your power. Don't give up. It's not your might. It's my spirit working to accomplish all that I'm going to accomplish. So, that's the ultimate truth here. Don't give up because God is empowering all this work by his spirit. And you get that, you've probably got it. But I'm going to go a little further because I want to break that down and on even more reasons underneath that why we shouldn't give up. The next one is this. We don't give up because God takes care of the obstacles. We're not going to give up no matter what obstacles are out there, because God's going to take care of them. Look at verse 7. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. Don't you love that? They had mountains all around. Like, they had obstacles that were crazy. They had enemy threats, opposition, people that didn't want them to rebuild Jerusalem that were threatening to attack them and come against them. They had all these reasons to go like, I don't think this is going to work. I'm not sure we can do this. We're going to die. God said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. And oh, oh by the way, that mountain, I'm going to level it. I'm going to flatten it. And God takes care of the obstacles. Now, don't misunderstand this. It doesn't mean he takes them all away. He doesn't take every mountain and flatten it, and it's gone. Sometimes he takes the mountain, and he goes, hey, grab my hand, and he leads us right over it. But he takes care of the obstacles. He doesn't say to Zerubbabel, hey, get the army together, and let's go defeat this. We'll, we'll knock this mountain down. He's like, no, you keep working. Build the temple. I got the obstacles. I'll take care of the enemy. You're here in week one when Kai was talking about the whole threat and how Darius responded to it. Like, that's... God was doing that. Here's how Jesus says it in John 16, 33. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. That's one of the promises from Jesus we don't always want to claim. <laughs> you have trouble in this world. There's going to be trials. There's going to be tests. There's going to be some pain. 
oh, but take heart. I've overcome all that. I've overcome the world. I got all the obstacles. I may, I may level them and move them out of your way, or I may just guide you through them, over them, around them, under them, whatever. I may, I may get you through it. But you keep serving and you trust me and you don't give up because I will take care of the obstacles in my time and my way. He's going to do it. And so we, we continue to trust him. We continue to say, okay, yes, I'm going to press on. Like, guys, listen to me. There will always be obstacles as we're serving God's kingdom. There will always be enemies. We have a enemy, the devil. He's roaming around like a lion ready to devour us. Students, listen to me. You just had this one of these mountaintop experiences that I think are so crucial to your discipleship and your faith. And you feel closer to God, most of you, than you have in a long time. And we love that and we want to support you in that. And the devil wants to steal that and kill that and destroy that. And he wants to do it today when you get home. He wants to do that this week. He wants to take all that God did in your life away from you. We will always have obstacles and we will always have enemies. And Jesus says, don't give up. Don't lose heart because I've overcome all that. I'm greater than that. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. So don't give up. Keep on going. Don't. We'll have enemies, but God's going to get us through every single one of those things. Because he's going to protect it. He's going to preserve it. So we don't want to give up, all of us, because God takes care of the obstacles. And we don't give up because God will complete his work. He doesn't leave things unfinished. He's going to finish it. He's going he's to, his spirit at work through his people to accomplish his goals. God's plan for the whole world and all eternity is right on schedule, y'all. Ain't nothing, nothing's been taken away from that. He's going to accomplish it. Look back at verse 7. He says, O great mountain, who are you? Zerubbabel, before him you'll become a great plain. And he, Zerubbabel, shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands shall also complete it. Because God finishes what he starts. In spite of us and through us. This this top stone's the, the top stone of the temple. You're going to build this whole thing up. It's just a foundation. You're going to build this whole thing up. And there's going to be a day that Zerubbabel's going to come with the, the capstone, the top stone. He's going to come to the top of the temple. He's going to climb up there, and everybody's going to be there. He's going to put that top stone up there, and it's going to be done. And everybody's going to shout, grace. He, Zerubbabel laid the foundation, and because of God's spirit at work, he's going to finish it. God finishes what he starts. So don't give up. Think it's hard? Think it's discouraging? Of course, there's times when it's that, that way for all of us. Don't give up. In Philippians, Paul said it this way. Verse 6 of chapter 1. He says, I'm sure of this, which is a cool way to start this. Man, I'm so sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Because he finishes what he starts. 
He's done, he started a good work in you, and he'll finish it. He started a good work in you this weekend, and he's going to finish it. You can trust him with it. He starts a good work in us, and he finishes it. He starts a good work through us, and he finishes it. Because it's not by might, not by power, but by his spirit that he's doing these things. And God completes his work. And when he does, he gets the glory for it. We don't give up because God gains glory through our work. Every time. Look back at this passage again. Verse 9, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His, sand, his hands shall also complete it. And then, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. What are you going to know? When this thing is all done, when Zerubbabel puts that stone on the top of it and it's done, you're going to know that God did it. Everybody's going to see how great God is when this thing is done. Just, just so you'll know, this whole God completes his work and he gains glory for it. The historians tell us that this foundation to capstone was about four years. Will you not give up if it takes four years for God to do what you're asking him to do in your life? If it takes four plus years to see God answer the prayer? Four years later, they did this. But God promised them at the beginning, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to get glory for it. When they, when they built it and they finished it four years later and Zerubbabel climbs up there and he puts that stone on the top of it, it's an amazing sight because all the people around and they don't shout in that moment, we did it! They shout grace, grace to it. God did it. He did it through us. It was his work, not my might, not my power. His spirit at work. He gets the glory for it. That's, that's what he's doing. He's gaining glory for himself and all the things that he does. So guess what? We don't give up because we get to be a part of something way bigger than us. I'm not part of this little thing that's just my world. I'm a part of what God is doing in all of the world. I'm a part of building his kingdom. And so I don't give up because it's about his glory, not just my story. And so I continually press on even when I'm discouraged, because God gains glory through our work. Let, let me show you what Jesus says and how this plays out in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. We're talking about lamps, lampstands. You and me, Christ followers, we're the light of the world, Jesus says. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and then put it under a basket or a bowl, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Serve God. Build the kingdom. Let your light shine into a dark world. And here's the result. So they will see your good works. They'll see these good things that God is doing through you. And then here's the end result. And they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's what we're supposed to be doing, y'all. We shine a light by God's power working through us. We shine a light into a dark world, and people start to see that we live differently. They, they start to see that we're from different kingdoms. We have a different citizenship. They see all that in us, and they start to see, wow, these people are doing good things. These people are doing the right things. These people are living a better life. And in the end, they look at that, and they go, oh, man, the God of that youth group, man, he must be great. And all the glory goes to him. So don't, don't give up. You're doing something bigger than you ever could on your own. 
And then we don't give up. This last one, I want, I want to camp out here for just a little bit because I think it's so important. It's probably the second most important thing in this whole text. We don't give up because God works greatly through small things. Look back at your text, verse 10. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice, and they shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. There were people in that group that looked at the new foundation and looked at the temple and they said, this isn't going to be that big. It's not going to be as great as the old one. Not that big of a deal. Not that significant. They mourned over it, some of them. There were people that were getting up every day and like, what are we doing today? Oh, we're moving rocks again? Great. Not that big of a deal. And God says, those people that don't want to do these small things right now, they're going, to, they're going to see the work that God does in that. They're going to come back and they're going to rejoice because we don't give up because God works greatly through small things. What's, what he's put right in front of you, God's going to do big things through the little things that we're obedient with right in front of us right now. Don't despise the day of small things. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to wear the shirts, I have the fit, and be a part of the group. Like, I didn't go to the retreat, but I, I know so many of the things that you were taught. I know some of the things that God has put in front of you. And some of them sometimes can seem little. I mean, Daniel chapter 3, they're, they're not bowing down to a statue, and so they get thrown in a fiery furnace. Daniel chapter 1, all they're doing there is not eating some food. But when they, when they said they weren't going to eat that food, it prepared them to, to not bow down to that statue. They didn't, they didn't despise that small thing that God had put in front of them. Which means that if you're going to follow Jesus in this stage of your life, you're going to have to do the small things. You're going to have to obey your parents and honor them. You're going to have to do your homework and be a good student. How's that to wrap up your retreat? <laughs> That's like, he, here's, he put it right in front of you. Don't despise the small things. When you, when, you, when you serve in this body, when, you, when you're part of this body, sometimes you walk in here and it's really easy. Like, I hope I get something good out of this today. I hope Shu did some preparation or something. <laughs> and you walk in this body and you're like, you know what? Somebody in this body needs you to encourage them today. Somebody in this body needs you to introduce yourself and meet them because they don't know many people and they haven't got connected here. And you just, like, you can look at that and go, that's not that big of a deal. I mean, I... I'm not that good at meeting people. Don't despise the day of small things. God does big things through those little bitty things. We have, we have a team here. They call themselves the crew. They used to call themselves the Incredibles. We're trying to keep up with all their names. We kind of call them just the load-in team, and then after the service, they're the load-out team. That just makes sense for us. But they're the crew. They show up early, and they set all this stuff up. This room, the children's ministry, the, the flags out on the road so people can find us. Like, they do all this stuff. And after, after the service, they're, they're tearing it down. They're the last ones here. Safety team and the, the loadout team, they're here. And, man, it would be so easy for them to look at that and go, wow, this is not that big of a deal. I mean, of, of all the things that are happening with the worship and the preaching and all the things, like, is this a big deal? This is such a small thing. And they could despise that. But I'm so thankful we have a crew that doesn't despise the small things. And they do that, and they provide this environment for all of us to come and worship and connect with each other and connect with all that stuff is happening because of that. Now, some of them would say, I don't know why you called it a small thing. There's a lot of stuff in the children's room. He's setting up a lot of panels. 
Man, you look at this in the whole big picture, and you're like, oh, man, this is just one little part of it. And you go, it's not that big a deal. It's not that significant. I'm not even sure I have the gift of studying things up. Or you can go, no, God's working on all the little things. Because people ser- serve every single week, like show up every week and serve in our children's ministry, providing a safe place for our kids so their parents can come in here and worship and connect. We're trying to plant truth to them. And sometimes you go in there and you're like, man, this is, I don't know if this is that significant. I got spit up on. I rocked a baby the whole time that wouldn't stop crying. I corralled some kids and I tried to teach a Bible lesson. I'm not sure any of them were listening. Don't despise the day of small things. You don't know what God's doing with that. Most of the time when I've led a family devotion at my house and I break open the Bible at the dinner table, everybody loses their minds. <laughs> Everybody's ended up in timeout, me included. And man, it's easy to go, this is not working. This is not worth it. I don't know if they're getting this at all. Don't despise the small things. Put them right in front of you. God works big things through little things. We have this great group of students over here, and we have an amazing group of adults that went the whole weekend with them. Stand up right now, real fast. Amazing. All around the room. Yeah. You, we should clap for them, and you should tell them how thankful you are for them, because it's, they didn't despise the small thing, and now they're looking at me like, I slept on a bunk bed and ate camp food. That's a big thing. <laughs> but man, you can look at that and go, it's not that big of a deal. Just, I, you heard Helen. I love these kids. They're amazing. She's, she's, she's kind of underselling herself. She went to New York with them last summer. It's not, not that big of a deal. Well, not everybody did it. Don't despise the day of the small things. God does big things through the small things. He's always, always doing that. So don't dismiss it. Don't ignore it. Ask yourself this question this morning. What is the small thing right in front of me right now that I've been dismissing and ignoring because it doesn't seem like that big a deal? You look at that and go, well, I only got the one talent, so I'm going to bury it in the ground. Oh, no, this guy got five. If I had five, I'd do some big things. If I had ten, man, you would see some cool. No, I only got one, so I just put it in the ground. That's despising the day of the small things. It's ignoring the fact that God does more than we can ever do with the smallest little thing that we can do. What's that in front of you right now? Do you need to, you need to have a conversation with somebody? It's a small thing to say, you know what, I, need to, I probably need to apologize to you. I need to extend forgiveness to you. I need to have a conversation with somebody. I need, to, I need to keep praying for somebody. I need to share the gospel with somebody. I need to invite somebody to come up here with me. I need to do something. Like, what is right in front of you? Maybe it's jumping in on one of these serving teams that we're talking about. I need to get in on this. And you can tell yourself, it's not a big deal. They probably have somebody else to do it. They probably don't even need me. It's despising the small things. What does he put right in front of you that you can do today to be faithful and obedient the talent that he's given you right in front of you right now. Don't despise that day. God works greatly through small things. Here's how Barry Webb, one of the commentators I was reading, said it. Participation in God's kingdom by obedient service to God is always the most wonderful privilege. However insignificant the particular task of the moment may appear to be. 
God lets us help build his kingdom. You're setting up a chair, you're rocking a baby, you're sleeping on a bunk bed or trying to sleep on a bunk bed. God's building his kingdom. And it may seem insignificant, it may seem like not a big deal, and God says, no, 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 you're in this wonderful privilege that's called building my kingdom. Don't despise it, no matter how insignificant it seems. It's a great, amazing opportunity right in front of us all the time. So don't give up. There's one other thing in this passage I think we've got to grab a hold of. And if you look back at verse 11, then I, this is Zechariah, said to him, the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and left of the lampstand? And apparently he didn't get an answer, so he said a second time, hey, what are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? <laughs> and the angel said to me, do you not know what these are? Which once again, you're like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That's why I'm asking the question. But that's not how you talk to angels. So you just say, no, my Lord, I don't. <laughs> and then he said, oh, well, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Oh, okay, great. Thank you for that explanation. What? Everybody agrees that what he was referring to here is that the olive trees, the branches off the olive trees represent the two anointed ones, Joshua the high priest and Zechariah, not Zechariah, Zerubbabel the governor. Last week's vision was all about Joshua and his clothes and how he needed righteousness. This week's vision is all about Zerubbabel as he leads the people, how he needs power and strength from the Spirit. And these are the two anointed ones that God has chosen to bring his blessing to his people. And so these branches represent Joshua, and this other branch over here represents Zerubbabel, and they are the ones that God is pouring out his Spirit into the bowl through how he's working in them. And then that pours out into all the people so they can be led well. And it's a, it's a pretty cool picture, and it's a great thing to think about, and like, wow, that's awesome. And it's really great if you're a priest or a governor. It would be really applicable to you. <laughs> but most of us aren't. Zerubbabel is the governor. He's called the governor, but he's actually a prince because he's in the line of David. He's, he's royalty. But nobody, like, goes and builds a new kingdom with permission from this king and calls himself king. That would be ridiculous and so he's just called the governor but he's really a prince he's really a king and Joshua's the high priest and the high priest role in this whole thing is to go in to the holy of holies to sacrifice for himself to cleanse himself go into the holy of holies once a year and make an atoning sacrifice for all the people to atone for all the sins of all the people the high priest represented the people before God and offered a sacrifice and then God would accept that sacrifice and grant a forgiveness for all the people for that year and then he would pour out his spirit on his people and then the the, the king the governor, in this case, is supposed to be a model citizen. He's supposed to lead the people by example. He's supposed to have the authority of the king to tell the people, here's where we're going. Here's what we're doing. We're going to work in the power of God. And as he leads the people, God's spirit provides everything they need to accomplish that task. And Jesus shows up, and the Bible says that he's the great high priest, and he's the king of kings. 
And because of his work as the great high priest, he goes in to the holy of holies. And he, he doesn't just offer a sacrifice for our sins. He is the sacrifice. He takes our place. He's the perfect lamb that was slain for our sin, for the forgiveness that we needed, desperately needed. Jesus provides that by his death on the cross. He's the great high priest we never had before. And because of that, God pours out his Holy Spirit into the world because of what Jesus accomplished. Jesus' goal and his mission and his ministry wasn't finished at the resurrection. It was finished at Pentecost when he poured out his spirit to accomplish his purposes. And Jesus as the king of kings, he is the ultimate example. And he has all authority on heaven and earth. And he has sent us into the world to be lights of the world. And he's given us the Holy Spirit so that we can carry out that task. That's why he says, hey, it's better for you if I leave so that I can send the Holy Spirit to you. You know the Bible says that? Jesus says, I know you're worried about how I'm going to be killed and I'm going to leave. I told you that and made you sad. But it's actually better because I can only be in this spot. If I'm in Galilee and you're in Jerusalem, you're not seeing me and you're not listening to me. But I'm going to leave. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and he's everywhere. He's going to live inside you. He's going to guide you and counsel you and help you and empower you and all those things. And so the king of kings gives us the Holy Spirit to carry out his objectives. The high priest made the sacrifice once and for all so that we could receive the Holy Spirit if we put our faith and trust in him. And we get to worship him. In response to that, we get to serve him in response to that. Because of what Jesus did, we know that it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by his spirit as he leads us and empowers us for his glory. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth in your word. This ancient minor prophet prophecy, Zechariah, so relevant to where we are right now. God, so many of us feel discouraged. So many of us feel like giving up. And God, I pray that you would remind us today that you'd use this truth to remind us not to give up because it's your work, your power, your spirit. And God, I pray that we'll, we'll respond to whatever you're leading us to do, the faithful and the small things that are right in front of us. We'll respond to that for your glory and our joy. And we ask that in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.